morning, church family. As we continue to worship together, together today, we're going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Last week, Kyle Young, our associate pastor of our Hispanic congregation, was preaching and leading you in such a wonderful sermon. And it was, uh, for those of you that were in this 11 o'clock service, it was a real joy to be able to see Pastor Byron baptizing in this service. And uh, yesterday was a a wonderful combination, or last Sunday was a wonderful combination of those uh, congregations together. While you were worshiping here, uh, my family and I, along with uh, 21 other Dawson members, were about an hour outside of Quito, worshiping with Pastor Felix and hearing a wonderful sermon. Got back yesterday from Ecuador. It was a great time to see the breadth and the beauty of the body of Christ, the faithfulness of the Ecuadorian believers. This is my third time to Ecuador, second time with Dawson. And it is a a great joy to partner alongside of Stephen Carroll Thompson, who've been missionaries there for 35 years, and to see the faithfulness of the followers of Christ that are there in Ecuador. We had families go on this trip. We had students go on this trip. We did a variety of things. We were outside of Patate, which is a camp that they have, and it was started uh, over a decade ago. And we had 150 Ecuadorian believers, students, young adults that came some as far as 17 hours away from the coast of Ecuador on a bus ride. And we had a student camp. And so our group got to wash dishes after the breakfast and lunch and dinner. We got to lead Bible studies. We got to help and, and participate in the worship events, sharing testimonies and a variety of things. It was a tremendous highlight. We then went to the city of Tena, which is on the actual gateway to the Amazon region of Ecuador. And there in the jungle camp, what they call the jungle camp, we had uh, women uh, from as far away as an eight-hour walk out of their village to a bus stop that then they got on a bus and they went nine hours, eight hours on the bus ride to come to a women's conference that our ladies led And while our ladies were leading that women's conference, the rest of us got to do backyard Bible clubs in different villages or a village there in Ecuador. And it was just a great highlight, again, to see the the faithfulness and the beauty of what God is doing. I've been on many mission trips. This is the first time I've been able to have my entire family with me. And it was just a tremendous joy to be able to uh, serve alongside of my, not only brothers and sisters in Christ, but my sons and my wife. And I pray that God would grant you that opportunity in his time also to serve with your families. He would give you the opportunity to. We were in Ecuador walking through God's word. We're here together today. uh, And we have the great privilege to conclude our series on the Ten Commandments with the 10th commandment. I just remind you, last spring we walked through Exodus 1 through 18. This year we're walking through the Ten Commandments. Next year, starting in January, we'll walk through the rest of the law and the tabernacle starting in January. So over a three-year period in those springtime here at Dawson, we're going to be concluding our time in the book of Exodus. Again, that's next year, uh, 2023. So that's what we have to look forward to. But today we are in the Tenth Commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This, my friends, is the word 
of the Lord. This is the 10th commandment here. It is different in a variety of ways from what has come immediately preceding it here. You see that this is a little bit more of an expansion of what we have had immediately before the 10th commandment. We have these short, pithy, do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery. And here we have a little bit more of an extension here of the breaking of the 10th commandment. Those previous commandments are done externally. might not be a lot of people that know that you killed someone, but one person would certainly know that. It might not be that everyone would know that you committed adultery, but one other person knows that. These are external sins that we commit. This sin is a sin, the 10th commandment that you break. It actually is a sin that, that could theoretically no one know. I mean, you could sit in pews for decades and struggle with the spirit of a coveting heart without anybody other than God knowing. Here, the 10th commandment moves to the internal. It moves to the heart. It moves to the soul. It moves to the will. The the 10th commandment, in the way that God has given us the commandments, he brings us full circle. Because the spirit uh, of a covetous person actually is the gateway to the breaking of the previous nine commandments. And so this is a full circle bringing us together to to really the heart of the matter. And that leads us to why the 10th commandment is so important, because there is a disordered desire of all of our hearts. I was workshopping the sermon. We had about an eight-hour trip from the mountain or the jungle camp to Quito on Friday and had all of our students that I was sort of, uh, we were talking about the sermon, and they had a lot of ideas of what I should preach this morning. And needless to say, I'm not going to share all of those because it might be my last sermon to share uh, with you. But one thing was clear is covetousness, that, that word covet, there's sort of a King James ring to this. It's, it's a word that we have some recognition of, but it's a little elusive to us, if we're going to be honest. What does it even mean to covet? So just to get us all on the same page here, what we're talking about in the 10th commandment is to crave for, it's to yearn for, it is to selfishly desire something that belongs to someone else. It is to crave for, it is to yearn for, it is to selfishly desire something that belongs to someone else. Philip Ryken, who is the president of Wheaton College, in a commentary uh, describes it this way, it is an inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire for something or even someone. It is an inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire for something. And before we go down that road too far here, I think I need to back us up and just remind you that God has created us with good desires. He he has created us to desire. And and desire can be a good thing. Not, Not every desire is sinful. Not every desire is selfish. Your desire for food can lead to the good outcome of what? Nourishment. Your your desire for community can can lead to what? Great friendships and great joy. Your desire for intimacy can lead to the good gift of marriage and the good gift of children. Your desire in itself can lead to the worship of God, obedience to God, a desire to trust Him in all of your life. So, All of our desires are not bad, but our desires are like everything else. They're tinged by the fall. 
And so we have disordered desires that all of us struggle with here. We, we desire, we deeply crave the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time and for the wrong reason. We know what it is to crave the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time and for the wrong reason. And you don't have to go looking really far into the Bible to see how the breaking of the 10th commandment actually is the gateway to the fallen world in which we live in the second page of the Bible deals with this. And you have Adam and Eve living in the garden. It was the 10th commandment that they would break that would ultimately lead Eve to take and eat of the fruit and to lead Adam to take and eat. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Notice that. To be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So before Eve took of the fruit, what did she do? She desired to to make herself wise. Satan tempted her to envy by telling her that if she ate of the fruit, she would be like God. So Eve took the fruit to gain something that she was never intended to have. This is coveting. This is what it means to have a covetous spirit. It's the gateway to all of the breaking of the Ten Commandments in so many ways, as we see here, even in the story of the fall itself. Notice again in Genesis chapter 20, verse 17, that the key to the covetous spirit is in the pronouns that you have before you. Again, you can underline these or circle these, but you should see the repetition in the text. You shall not covet your neighbor's house your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey. And then uh, God says, lest you think that I'm only talking about these things or anything else that's your neighbor's. He knew that we were prone to this kind of sin. The desire for a wife is not a bad thing. The desire for shelter is not a bad thing. The desire for oxen or donkey. This is not a bad thing. The desire in the context of the ancient Eastern world to have a servant is not a bad thing. These are not inherently wrong in and of themselves. But you see the disordered desires of our heart, that the sin occurs when we desire what is not ours and what was never intended to be ours. And this is subtle. To, To struggle with coveting can be a subtle thing it happens in the workplace. It's that little twinge of envy and jealousy when your coworker gets the recognition that really you think is yours to have. It's when your coworker gets the promotion that you're sure you're more worthy of. It's in that moment, instead of celebrating his or her achievement, that you have this bitterness of envy and jealousy that rises up inside of you. You've been there, haven't you? You know what it is to to feel that uh, when your friend or your roommate from college gets uh, engaged and, and you smile for all the pictures when the announcements and the parties are happening, but deep down inside you sort of bitterly resent that that she or he is receiving what what you think in your mind you deserve before them. There we go, stepping over the tenth commandment. It's been spring break for a lot of 
the Birmingham Metro Schools. And so these last couple of days, people have been showing where they've been and what they've done. And you walk through and you're scrolling through Instagram posts, Facebook posts, and you see somebody say, back in our happy place. And you see a smiling family. And you think, why them and not me? Why is that their happy place? And I've never even been to that place. And so this bitterness and this envy and this jealousy, it, it is something that, that all of us, in, in some form, in some fashion, we, we're familiar with this. Uh, we can push the Tenth Commandment far away from us. We can dwell upon the houses and the servants and the livestock. We can read oxen and donkeys and say, well, I'm glad they struggle with that because I'm not struggling with, with coveting anyone's oxen or donkeys here. But what, what, what do all these have in common? They're just possessions. And we know what it is in the 21st century to crave and to yearn for more and bigger and newer. And the more we drink of this and the more we eat of this and consume and consume, we think it's going to silence the restlessness in us, but, but we, we never have enough. We live if-only lives. If only I had a bigger house, then I would be content. If only I had a better job, then all would be right in my world. If, if only I had married him or her instead of this guy or that girl, then, then all of life would be great. If only I had a newer gadget. If only I had more luxurious vacations to go on. If only, if only, if only, if only. And we know what it is to live that kind of if-only life, where we spend a lot of our time looking beyond what God has granted us to what we wish he had given us. You know what this is like. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, and it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged. I wanted the presence of mind without limitations. My life came to an end, and I never got what I wanted. We can go through life living if-only lives. We, we can go through life believing the lie the Madison Avenue marketing firm sell you that if you only had that, if you only bought that, if you only experienced that, then, then you would be happy. And they sell you the lie to capture your attention, but not just to capture your attention, to capture your affections, to place your hope, and to ultimately place your faith in things that are fleeting. Do you know that temptation? Well, of course you do, because we all do. 
The Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, writing to the church in Rome, he comes to the 10th commandment to look into the mirror saying, what then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if, I had not been, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul reminds us something. He reminds us of something that is deeply important as we come to the Ten Commandments, and especially as we're concluding our series in the Ten Commandments. Oftentimes we misread the Ten Commandments as, if we do all of these things, then we'll be good people that God actually loves, and He will take us to be with Him in eternity. If we stack up at the end and we fulfill these commandments and live up to these standards, then God would love us. And the exact opposite is true. Paul says the Ten Commandments are like a mirror. And when he looks into the mirror of the Ten Commandments, he realizes how he falls so short of the standard of God's law. He, he, he realizes that the Ten Commandments were given, the Tenth Commandment was given to, to name something, that disordered desire in his heart. And he's able to put a finger on it, not so that at the end of his life he could say, I need to live up to all these Ten Commandments, and if I do them all perfectly, then God would love me. No, the opposite is true. We have not lived according to these Ten Commandments perfectly. Not one of us. No one is righteous. No, not one. But the hope of the gospel is, is God loves us even when our desires are disordered. God loves us even when we fall short of his standard. And he sent his son who perfectly has fulfilled these Ten Commandments and all of the law. And he has died for your disordered heart and my disordered heart. This is the hope of the gospel that we find forgiveness where we fall in the one who lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we deserve to die, a death for all of our coveting hearts. So have hope this morning, even in the face of your disordered desires, not because you're going to uh, eliminate a covetous spirit in your life. No, that Jesus knows that that is there. And the blood of Christ covers you when you turn to him for the forgiveness of your sin. This is our hope in the face of our disordered desires. It's a person, and that person is named Jesus. And as followers of him, we can grow, we can grow to live lives of obedience and live lives of holiness, not to earn the approval of God, but that he has given us his approval in his son, Jesus. And as we're in Christ and walk with him, we can live out these Ten Commandments perfectly, no, but can we grow and mature? Yes. What does that look like in light of the 10th commandment? If you flip the 10th commandment on its head and you made it into a positive statement, you would have the positive statement in two words. What are those two words? Be content. You see, the flip side, positively, you shall not covet, is to be content. The Apostle Paul he has this as a refrain in his letters. You have it in examples like 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great, what? Gain. In Philippians chapter 4, we have this theme starting in verse 11. He's in a Roman prison wondering if he's ever going to see uh, the light of freedom ever again. And he writes this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whatever situation I've learned to be content. 
I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Did you hear that? It's a couple of things that are really helpful to be reminded of when Paul says in this passage that he has learned in whatever situation to be content. It's not something that's implanted in us. It's, it's not like a vaccine that you receive and you're covered for the next year. That's not what this passage is saying right here. It's actually saying that we grow in our contentment. We learn contentment. We can, we can grow in a spirit of contentment when we find our joy in him and not our circumstances. So many of us think, I will be content if I can get all my circumstances straight. If everything can go like I want it to go and I can achieve what I want to achieve this year and I can experience what I want to experience, then everything will be great and everything will be grand. I'll, I'll then have the whole wide world in the palm of my hand. Everything will be perfect, be falling into place, and you won't be able to wipe that smile off your face. Then you'll be content, right? Paul says the opposite here. He says that your contentment is not based upon all of your circumstances going well. In actuality, in life, there are going to be times where everything isn't going great. Everything isn't grand. You don't seem to have the palm of the world in your hand. You know what? Uh, you don't seem to have this world in your hand in that moment here. You, you've got a storm cloud of disappointment that follows you. You have a storm cloud of discontentment that follows you. And it's in that moment that Paul says, in Christ, you can find joy and you can find hope. Now, that's a beautiful message to be reminded of today. How do you experience this? What's the cultivation of two things? It's the cultivation of godliness and it's the cultivation of gratitude. We walk in contentment when we walk in Christ and we cultivate godliness. What Paul is saying is you can't do this in your own strength. It is Christ who strengthens you. It is Christ who gives you the opportunity to grow in contentment regardless of your circumstances. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. All of us have to ask the question, will we live and be defined by the circumstances around us or by the overflow of Christ in us? I mean, every one of us here have to ask the question, are, are, are we being defined by the undertow of our circumstances around us? Or are we being defined by the overflow of Christ in us? Are we going to be men and women who cultivate godliness on our knees in prayer, thanking God for his blessings, uh, being intimate and in communion with him? Or will we be spiritually malnourished Christians? You know what it is to miss a few meals and to do your grocery shopping on an empty stomach? Do you know what that feeling's like to, to go into Publix where you, you are famished and you're hungry and it's in that moment you're walking down the aisles and you don't immediately in those moments, at least I don't, I don't immediately go to the lettuce. I don't immediately go to the broccoli. I don't immediately go to the carrots. I don't immediately go to the bananas and the apples. I, I go to the inside of the grocery store. I don't want to go to the outside. I want to find the hostess aisle. That's what I need right there. I want to find the chips is what I want. Because when, when you feed and you're malnourished in that moment, you're actually captivated by the, the junk food that is around you. And that is true not only physically, that is true spiritually. There, there's some of us that are spiritually malnourished in this sanctuary. 
And we're having a hard time resisting the temptation of the world around us, the junk food of the world around us. And Christ says, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. So are we cultivating a dependency upon him through a dependency in him in prayer and a commitment to his word? Are we cultivating godliness? Are we cultivating gratitude? One, one way for us to live lives of contentment is to have gratitude on the tip of our tongue. So often in life, we, we, we miss what God has given us by looking around and seeing all that we don't have instead of all that he has blessed us with. And so a part of our life should be lives where, where gratitude is the consistent part of our refrain. That we wake up and we end the day thanking God for what he has blessed us with. Thanking God for the gifts of what we have in life. And understanding that all that we go through in life is, can be difficult and it, and it can be painful. But even in the midst of those painful and difficult circumstances, he is all that we need. And he has provided for us all that we need, even in those circumstances where we feel as if there's so much more that we need. Because what? The Spirit of God dwells in us, and he has given us his presence and the promise of an eternal life before us. He has given us the very salvation that we have from our sins. He's given us the community of faith. He has given us the comfort of the Spirit of God, the leadership of the Spirit of God. I heard years ago, young girl who was just learning some of the key texts of the Bible and her mom and dad were helping her memorize this 23rd Psalm. And again and again, they instilled in her, the Lord is my shepherd. He is all I want. The Lord is my shepherd. He is all I want. The Lord is my shepherd. He is all I want. Well, they were misquoting the 23rd Psalm. You know that the Lord is my shepherd. It's I shall not want. But while the psalm was wrong, it actually was right. The Lord is my shepherd. He is all I want. Can you say that? The Lord is my shepherd. He is all I want. The Lord is my shepherd. He is all that I need. So how do we slay the sin of the coveting heart that uh, lies so deeply inside of each and every one of us? How do we slay the sin of covetousness that uh, is, is so easily clinging to us? Well, we do that by that great hymn of decades ago, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus and Look Full in His Wonderful Face and the things of this earth will go strangely dim. Church, will you help me in the light of His glory and grace? Amen? Amen. Let us pray.